Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Devils and Dust, the album edition. Hey everybody, welcome to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. Uh, this is the podcast where we used to talk about every Bruce Springsteen song one by one in alphabetical order, but since we finished with that, we decided we'll go back through and we'll talk about every album one by one in chronological order. We are in the middle of the aughts, the 2000s. My name is Rob Carmack. I'm sitting over there in Mississippi, <laughs> is my good friend JB. How you doing, hey, JB? I'm, uh, I'm COVID negative. I was going to say, is your nose still tingling from that COVID test? Yeah. <laughs> Did, Absolutely. Did I, you, I loaded up my kids and my wife, and we went and waited in the parking lot for three hours to get a test. And on your birthday. Negative. Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah, happy birthday. And you're all negative. I, I assume when you say negative, it was negative in the positive sense. Right. Ne- well, it was negative in the negative sense. It was positive so I I, in the negative <laughs> sense. That's how Donald Trump described his, his COVID test. I, pa- I, te- I, I did positive. You mean you have the virus? Oh, no, no. I, I tested. I, te- I, I did positively by testing negative. In the positive. Yes. Yes. Very good. Very good, sir. So that's where we are. Yeah. That's how things are going. Oh, and they moved a Confederate statue from the center of the campus I work on today. So that was tight. Oh, cool. I heard that that same Confederate statue got an American Airlines flight from Washington, D.C. with no mask on yesterday. (laughs) Damn it, Rob. (laughs) What was the one rule? I explicitly requested. There's one rule. One rule was we were not going to talk about Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Uh, what did I say right before we hit record? You said we shouldn't talk about Ted Cruz. Damn it. I just Fuck couldn't help guy. it. Man, for real. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Well, hey, we're talking about mm-hmm. Devils and Dust today. We're talking about good stuff. We're talking about Bruce Springsteen yeah, album. Last time we talked about The Rising. Today we're talking about Devils and Dust. This is a sound that I've always wanted Bruce to spend more time exploring. Well, good news. We've got it today. And depending on yeah. how you feel about Western Stars, we'll get it again 14 years later. That's what I was going to say. Is that, and, and he finally did sort of revisit it with Western Stars. And, and he, this, he is good at this. I, he is good at uh, like an open plane, you know, uh, sonically, you know, creating sort of like a big field of grasses. Yes. Uh, with, with dust and sun rising or setting. You know, that's yes. that's that's a, a thing that he's good at that he's not necessarily known for um, that I like as much as anything else that he does. You know, yeah, this is a very specific and we'll talk more about it as we probably get into the actual sound of the record. But, yeah, I agree. I think this is this is a thing that he does not. I mean, in his entire body of work, he has depending on how you measure it, he has anywhere between three and four albums that sort of pursue this. OK, I'm going to back up. Because a lot of times people will will frame Devils and Dust as the third of Bruce's three acoustic albums, Nebraska being the first, Tom Joad being the second, and this being the third. I would argue that Nebraska and Tom Joad are one kind of album, and Devils and Dust and Western Stars are a different kind of album. Yes, very much a different kind of album. And we'll talk more as we get into like the sonic qualities of the album. We can talk more about like specifically why that is. And I'm sure one day once we talk, start talking about Western Stars, we'll be able to to compare the two. But but I think I think it misjudges this album to simply call it Bruce's third acoustic record with no further yeah. qualifications than that. I, well, I, there's I, so much more to it. They're just, the strings are, are so big uh, and such a big part of this. And the band is such a big part of this. Oh, and that uh, there is a band and that there is, there yeah. is a production value that is, that is new here is yeah. specific to if this you, album. 
if you ask me if I wanted like a uh, a Bruce has a new record or he has three records, which one should he release next? He's got a sort of um, an aughts protest rock record, which, you know, we're familiar with and we love. Yes. He's got a <clears throat> 70s, 80s rock and roll, you know, um, opera, which we're familiar with and we love, you know, about growing up, you know, or maybe it's it's the, you know, it's the Richard Ford version, you know, it's the later in life um, version of that same thing. Or it, do you want like an Americana landscape record i would honestly maybe pick that one because he hasn't explored it in a way like in an definitive way yet you know what i mean yeah like i think it's still i think it's still rattling around in there like i think we're gonna get another one of these and it's gonna be sort of definitive you know in the way that darkness on the edge of town is you don't feel like western stars is that thing Mm, i don't think we're quite there yet i think there's a, a real sort of um masterpiece in there I love the way you just described it, Americana landscape, because that's, yeah. I, I mean, until Western stars existed, I would argue Devils and Dust is is a specifically unique thing in the Bruce Springsteen body of work. There's no other album that is quite like this, which is why it often gets lumped in with Nebraska and Tom Joad, yeah. because, because there's nothing else in his body of work to compare it to. And that's the closest thing you can get. But this is, it's a wholly different thing. It's a, it's a, it is an animal unto itself. Well, and it's also it's something that we don't think about as much, I think, because it's such a familiar sort of like it feels like coming home sort of sound. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take you a little bit and we're, we're going to take a, a quick little we're going to this is a cul-de-sac, but it comes back around. OK. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I go to the zoo and I think about go uh, on. Like I see all these animals and I'm like, why don't we have, you know, just the lion is such an incredible animal. You're like, what do we have here in America that competes with like a lion, you know, or like, uh, you know, a hippopotamus or something like that, you know, a snow leopard. But then we got bears. You know, right. We have some incredible bears, you know, we've got like the uh, grizzly and the black bear. We've got um, we've got um, the brown like bear. the cougar. We have like the mountain lion, which is the fiercest of all animal. You know, and like it sneaks up on people, but it doesn't have to. It can also fight you head on, but you know, it can jump. Out, it can jump on you from like thirty <laughs> feet away and and immediately dispatch of you. Yes. Um. Keep going. So like, keep talking about wildlife. Do it. <laughs> Tell me more. Do you kind of see where I'm going lion. though? Do you kind of see where I'm going though? I no, not yet. Not I at think all. You've, I think you've literally gone to the zoo. <laughs> this record is kind of like that to me in that it just feels like you know americana i think does this you know you don't you don't listen to john prine and think like holy cow this is the best thing i've ever heard because it feels so like it relaxed and it feels like a recliner you know and so uh it doesn't feel like a conversation piece so i think it's easy to overlook this sound of bruce's compared to some of the other flashier ones but it's so it you know it's kind of amazing. You look at the other you know all these other crazy records you know, and you're like, man, all these other artists have you know, or even Bruce at other times have these really flashy, incredible statement pieces. But like this is majestic, you know. This is a buffalo. This is like like the buffalo is incredible. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is the mountain lion. I think buffalo uh, is exactly the right animal to you because it's a landscape song or album. Yeah. You know, and what 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 roams on the plains. Buffalo. Yeah. The Buffalo Realm. That's what. Yeah, anyway, man, I, I'm with you. I, I like that. The, the, this is a, a uniquely Buffalo Springsteen <laughs> Americana type of type of thing. Buffalo um, Springsteen. Buffalo Springsteen. That's, I would listen to that band. Absolutely. It's it's just Bruce and Neil Young um, oh. hollering back 
forth at each other. So, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So this album, we've kind of gotten ahead of ourselves a little bit. That's my fault. So uh, this album was released, Devils and Dust, was released April 26th, 2005 on Columbia Records. Uh, this is the follow-up album from The Rising, which had uh, been released three years earlier. So 2005, there's some, there's some albums. They, now we are fully in my my adulthood. Like, I'm I'm a full-grown college graduate at this point. So I'm, I'm buying music when I feel like it, in between paying my own rent and buying gas. Got a job. So, I'm got buying a job whenever and, I want to. Yeah. So here are some other albums that came out that year. Some of these I bought, some of them I didn't, but... These are the albums. These are some some of the major albums that came out in this particular year. So, stop me if any of the, these sound noteworthy enough to talk about. So, I'll, I'll just run okay. run down the list. Extraordinary Machine by Fiona Apple. Okay, that's a good one. Love that album. Z by My Morning Jacket. Uh, not so much on that one. I, oh. I like their other ones, but they put out a record this week. Waterfall. The two. Waterfall Two. I didn't know they were gonna do that. And then they come out here and put out a sequel to one of my favorite records. And it was like raining outside, and I was in a weird spot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. That was oh, that was a gift. That was a gift. I anytime an artist that I like has put out an album during this this time, I'm like, thank you so much. I just mm. feel so indebted to you right now. Uh, let's yeah. see. We got The Massacre by Fifty Cent. Fifty Cent. All right. Uh, that was actually the best performing album of 2005, which is interesting because that is not an album I ever think about at all. But I mean, I'm I realize I'm I'm not like the target demographic for um, Fifty Cent records. Yeah. But but I I try and keep up with like what are the be- biggest selling albums and I I missed that one entirely. Uh, let's see, we got In Between Dreams by Jack Johnson, How to Save a Life by The Fray. Oh, that one. That was a big one. That was a. That was... I just it just feels like it was so under. It there's nothing. They didn't try anything on that one. You know what I mean? It was and their it was debut played, album. It was played on the radio like every day. The it whole was, thing was a single. It was it, the and... whole thing was flogged for for. For lots of time. And it wasn't it wasn't like impressive. It was fine. But they could have they're talented, you know? They it, they could have done something really, really good. To me, it always sounded like switchfoot, but piano. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Wasn't yeah. for it. The Mars Volta, Francis the Mute. That's an incredible record. Is that from this year? I'm I'm running down my Okay. Uh then let's see. We got Stand Up by Dave Matthews Band, In Your Honor by Foo Fighters. Which That's was stuck in my dad's B, uh, Mazda B2300 truck. It was a double and, album. Uh, yeah, that was a great record. That was a great record. Uh, Knuckle Down by Ani DeFranco. That was that that was my first Ani DeFranco album. It's it's very good. Uh, Something to Be by Rob Thomas. Rob Thomas's debut solo record, which I found to be deeply disappointing. Yeah. But uh, it was very popular. I think he sold a lot of singles. You got Out of Exile by Audio Slave. X and Y by Coldplay. All the Right Reasons by everybody's favorite, Nickelback. Uh, With Teeth by Nine Inch Nails, Gimme Fiction by Spoon, Illinois by Sufjan Stevens, one of your favorites, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, Oh, here's one, JV. This one, I absolutely made sure to keep this on the list. Plans by Death Cab for Cutie. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. That's one of the best. Yeah, Yeah. that's their their coming out record, man. Nice. Uh, Songs for Silverman by Ben Folds, Picaresque by The Decemberists, Rebel Sweetheart by The Wallflowers, Looking for Lucky by Hootie and the Blowfish. I believe that was Hootie and the Blowfish's final album. Um, I, I, I didn't know that because I looked it up. I know that because I know that. Um, that's right. Uh, Wildflower by Sheryl Crow, Amos Lee, his self-titled record, Try by John Mayer Trio. That is a, that is a record that I've listened to. That was in my CD player all the way through high school and college. That's a good, that is a good record. Uh, Nothing is Sound by Switchfoot. Speaking of Switchfoot. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a pretty decent record too. Yeah. Bright Eyes, I'm Wide Awake It's Morning, one of my all time favorite records. Oh, I missed that one. That was not on my list. Oh, I uh, listen to that record so much. Let's see, uh, from Under the Cork Tree by Fall Out Boy. I think that was their big. That one out. ruled. Yeah, <laughs> I listened to that one a ton too. Uh, you could have done it so much better by Franz Ferdinand. The Sunset Tree by Mountain Goats. Separation Sunday by The Hold Steady. The Woods by Slater Kenny. Clap your hands, say yeah. Their self titled album, which I at the time thought like this is the most progressive thing I'll ever buy. Like I I listened to that and I was like this is blowing. My my mind and i don't know why but i really like it um i've not revisited it very much since then but clap your hands say yeah i was into it for a minute there uh let's cool. see late registration by kanye west presidential uh hopeful not kanye west um all the stars and boulevards by augustana don't believe the truth by oasis nice talking to me the spin doctors final album and oh, the spin doctors i know and a personal favorite of mine an album called 23 by tristan prettyman so it's a mm. It's an okay year for for albums. Yeah, that's, I mean, some records that I listen to regularly yeah. on that list. But among those, among the the peers, was Bruce Springsteen's "Devils and Dust," which is what we're here to talk about today. Which I think was of the time. I think so. I mean, certainly more landscape Americana, to borrow a phrase. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I would have put it up. I mean, at the time, I I I just was not fully aware of this album. I mean, I, I saw it at like Target and stuff like that, but I didn't buy it. Um. And, and so, like, even if I had, it, I, I try sometimes to think about the road not taken. Like, what if I had just been feeling deeply experimental and at, at a music store? I was there to pick up the new Fiona record or Fiona Apple, and I decide I'm gonna. It's Bruce Springsteen album looks a little interesting. I'm into folky kinds of stuff, and I pick it up and I love it. What do I think now of the rest of his body of work? Like, what if I had like bought this album having known very little about the rest of Bruce Springsteen, listened to it, and been like, I love this. I want more. How would I have liked anything else? Do you think? I mean, I think it's hard to not like a lot of the other stuff in the catalog, but yeah, there's nothing else. There's nothing else besides, um, what's the EP? The EP. Yeah, that came out around the same time. Of his? American Beauty. Oh, oh that, that came out way later. That came out like nearly 10 years 14. later. Yeah. Yeah. But American Beauty is the only other thing that like kind of fits that sound. Yeah, and there's a couple. that kind of is more like the magic or Wrecking Ball. I think a couple of these songs or of the songs from the rising kind of like, um, Oh God, what's the one, uh, up the stair or yeah. Into the fire kind of aesthetically yeah. kind of has some of the same like twang to it, I guess a little bit or like gospel infusion, but overall, yeah, yeah I don't know. Like if, if somebody had bought this and thinking things like, Oh wow, I didn't know this is what Bruce Springsteen sounded like. I'm going to go j- jump into the back catalog. I don't know. Like, I don't know how that person would have felt about most everything. Like, what, what are you going to, like, go by Human Touch next? You know what I mean? Like, that's confusing. Yeah. but That's very confusing. Or tracks. <laughs> oh, track. Yeah, no. You, nobody should start with tracks. Tracks is, tracks is like, <laughs> the advanced course. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so let, uh, a little bit of basic facts about this album. So this album debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard charts, but it only held the spot for one week. It was unseated by uh, Nine Inch Nails with Teeth. And it was met with really positive reviews. Most most music critics really, really liked this album. And we, we mentioned before, I think on one of the episodes, it might have been the Reno episode, uh, that Starbucks was actually considered as, as a potential retail outlet for this album. But they ultimately decided not to carry it in their stores. And as the story goes, the reason Starbucks opted out was because of the very adult themes found specifically in the song Reno, which we did a whole episode oh. about. Yeah, um, but they were also not pleased, super pleased with with some of Bruce's public po- political opinions about corporate power a- as it relates to workers' rights. Bruce 
is famously very pro-union. So also it's possible that, that Bruce never actually agreed to offer the album to Starbucks. It's possible Columbia Records did that without his consent. Uh, since he yeah. generally does not love the idea of over-corporatizing his, his music, especially stuff like this, you know, all, and although maybe it was, it's possible he was concerned that this album would have flown under the radar since it was so not what people were used to. I don't know. But either way, it just it, it didn't work out. So that said, I know for a fact that the Seer Sessions album was carried by Starbucks the following year uh, because I remember seeing it at my local Starbucks a lot. And I remember hearing them play it a bunch. And so at some point, Bruce Springsteen and Starbucks like buried the hatchet. They worked out their differences at some level, but for one reason or another, they opted, they opted not to work together on this particular project. In fact, uh, I think you brought this up before, but as a joke, Bruce was playing a show in Philadelphia and introduced the song Reno by saying, quote, the new album will be available at Dunkin' Donuts and Krispy Kreme stores everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Because I guess that story about Starbucks had gotten out. So Bruce, Bruce having a little fun. With, uh, with his own reputation. Uh, so let's see. After he finished the Ghost of Tom Joad tour in 1997, Bruce started recording new material with the intention of making another acoustic album. So the original plan was Bruce went out on the Ghost of Tom Joad tour, comes back, and decides, like, I, I, I'm feeling this. Like, I want, I want to make more of this. Like, I guess yeah. he felt like, like he's, he's in the phase of his life where he's not a rock and roll guy anymore. He's going to be more of, like, a Johnny Cash kind of guy, maybe. So he starts working on a bunch of new material after that tour is over. And after he recorded a bunch of material during those sessions, he kind of started second guessing himself. He didn't want to just become a solo acoustic guy. And so he begins to ignore, specifically, he didn't want to ignore all the other aspects of his, of his personality and his talents, his his gifts, as he would call it. So instead of pursuing the next acoustic record, he kind of puts all that aside and he starts curating tracks. Uh, Then the reunion tour happens after that. And a lot of that material that he had written for what would have been the next acoustic record kind of gets put in a drawer. So then a lot of a lot of these songs on Devils and Dust were written long before the recording sessions for the record. They were written some, some earlier, but like some during those early sessions post Tom Joad tour. And OK, so sh- shortly after the 2004 election in which uh, George W. Bush won a second term, uh, Bruce calls Brendan O'Brien, who's recently produced The Rising for him. Bruce calls Brendan O'Brien and tells him, I want to go back to work. So <laughs> Bush gets a second term and Bruce is like, I'm going to need to make some music now. Cause I don't yeah, know how else to, to deal with this. Yeah. And we can only hope that right now he's having the same basic impulse as we sit here and record this. So this is, as we mentioned before, this is a non E street band album. It, it, it is often re- referred to as Bruce's third acoustic album, but it really isn't that specifically. It, it is, it's at, at, like we mentioned before, it's more produced than Nebraska and the ghost of Tom Joad. And there are several tracks where there are multiple other musicians playing, which instantly makes it a more produced, more band centric album than those other two records so during the recording process there were some songs that were designated as daylight songs and that they worked on before sunset these are the more up-tempo songs like all the way home and all i'm thinking about then there were other songs that were darker and more moody so bruce actually had like designated terms and times of day that certain songs would be worked on daylight songs and nighttime songs yeah. So, so those are the basic facts as they are recorded on the internet. So, any anything I missed there, JB? Any um, nope. I- interesting tidbits about all that? That's just a um, a fire hydrant of facts. Yes. So, initial thoughts. You, you kind of mentioned before that you feel you feel good about this record. You talked about landscape Americana. We talked about about mountain lions and buffalo too. That's right. We did. We, I forgot. We talked about mountain lions and buffalo and bears. Yeah. Uh, so in, in my personal opinion, just initial thoughts before we get into the track by track, I, I think 
I would argue that this is one of Bruce's least immediately accessible records. But it's also, I would argue, one of the most rewarding, given enough time. I think this is probably, if, if you were just going to, like, close your eyes and reach into a bag and grab a Bruce Springsteen album and pull it out, and that would be the first thing you listen to, I think if you pulled this out, you would have a hard time getting into it. I, I, I don't know that this is for a first-time Bruce Springsteen listener. I could be wrong. It's possible there is a listener out there who's like, no, this is this is my entry point, and that's great. Um, in my opinion, I, I feel like this is a difficult front door to enter through. But like I said, I, I, I think, think if you mean like a front door to enter into him, yes. But yes. I don't think it's I don't think it's inaccessible as a record at all. I think no. it's super easy to listen to. Yeah, I, I, I mean, basically what I said before, like if, if you if you find this record before anything else of his, I don't know how much I don't know how much you use you're going to have for the rest of the body of work, you know? Yeah. Um. I. I think. I think this album, for for at, at least for me as a Bruce Springsteen fan who kind of started with Magic and kind of worked through, you know, the major rock records and then came back to this one later. To me, this was one of the one of the albums that took me the longest to kind of figure out. And it, it. And really, in a lot of ways, this album kind of had to find me. Really, as we were doing the first season of this podcast, there were several songs on this record that I did not have a full appreciation for until we really sat down. And went through like the lyrics and the production, so it took it took me a while as a Bruce Springsteen fan to really get how special this album is. And I, I talked already about like how I think this is sort of of a piece with Western Stars, and um, and it it, t- it does tend to to end up in the acoustic album category because it is more stripped down than a, than a traditional Bruce Springsteen rock record. Um, but also because when Bruce toured on this album, he toured as if it had been recorded as an acoustic record. It was just guitar and piano. Like he he yeah. did not tour with a band. And that probably kind of added to the the perception that this is an acoustic album, you know. Um, here's my question for you, JB. Before we get into the the, the track by track, what do you feel like? Because one of the things that we we've, we've kind of found with Bruce Springsteen in general is there tends to be a, a central idea that he's he tends to pursue in in every album, whether or not he's successful every time that's up for debate. But he does always seem to be reaching for one particular notion idea like pattern of thought. What do you think it is with this record? Is it just like, I'm really tired? Like what, what is, what is the, what, what, what is the overall general concept idea notion of the record? I don't know. If born in the USA is about realizing that the deck stacked against you, this is like lived in the USA. Mm, interesting. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, this is just about, yeah, you said, I mean, you said it like, he's just tired. You know, it's just about like it's about just trying to get through it. I think, and just trying to find like that that common story. You know, this is this is Bruce doing the blues, even though this isn't blues. You know what I mean? This is his blues. It's got some sort of Dylan to it. There, yeah, there's but, a lot of Dylan in here. Yeah, for sure. But I think it I think it puts his his message a little less like his message isn't like so po- like weirdly poetically crammed into everything. You know. It's it's a little more like just he just leaves it there in the music, you know. You think it's more of an exploration than a like these are these are the things I'm I'm thinking and I want to share them with you. Do you think it's it's more like a wandering and a series of questions? I mean, a little, yeah. I, I think one of the most pressing questions it asks is in the first song: "What if the thing you do to survive kills the thing you love?" Um, yeah, it is asking sort of questions, but. I, I think it's, I don't know whether it's wondering. I mean, it's wondering. Yeah, sure, it's wondering. It's exploring a lot of stuff. But I also think it's like, I think it's a little bit focused. It's got a map. Yeah, I definitely think there's, and I think you just zeroed in on, in fact, in my my notes, I have the phrase, kill the things you love, specifically regarding this question. Because I 
I do think, and and I'm I'm with you. And I was I was trying to sort of get at like how do you talk about this? But I I think you I think you you nailed it. I think it really is sort of a this this album is about the struggle to remain human without killing the things you love. You know, not just as an individual, but as a society. What what does it mean for us to be human beings and to not grow cold and to not become detached from the things that make being a human good and special? You know, and and I think the, the title track really kind of takes aim at the bullseye on that. And and maybe maybe that's it. Maybe maybe the title track is sort of the center of of the bullseye. And the rest of the songs are kind of like a, a spider webbing out from that idea. You know, what do you think yeah. about that? Like, yeah. how do you feel about yeah, that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's like the thesis. Cool. I, th- I think that's right. So, all right. Well, with that said, let's, let's get into it. Let's talk track by track. So track one, side one is, I say tra- side one is sort of an irrelevant. This, this album was just released on vinyl, just, like yeah. very recently. And I, I have it, but like it was originally, obviously it was just, it was a CD. So track one side all the songs are side one. It's a CD. So anyway, yeah. it's Devils and Dust. I got my finger on the trigger But I don't know who to trust When I look into your eyes There's just devils and dust We're a long, long way from home, Bob Home's a long, long way from us Feel a dirty wind blowing. And if you want to hear, we, we talk about each of these songs exhaustively uh, in the feed. Um, so, you know, check out those episodes too if you haven't. But uh, yeah, Devils and Dust, man. What a way to set it up. You know, this is like we said with the question it asked, you know, the song asks is the thesis. But I think musically, this is the thesis too. You know, it builds as it goes. It's really beautiful. The you know the way he sings, it's very smart and and sort of painful. It reminds me of "With God on Our Side" by well, Dylan. There's a direct reference to says, "God on Our Side," right? Yeah, we've got God on Our Side, and and so this is sort of that same thing as like talking. I think maybe about war. You know, uh, we're talking about Bush here. You know, what if you do? What if the thing you do to survive kills the things you love? You know? Yeah. Uh, and we were making a lot of sacrifices for safety or perceived safety at the time, you know? And I think this is sort of asking like, at what point, you know, do does safe, does safety encourage on Liberty? Um, and that's a question we're asking about right now too. And yes. I don't think it's, you know, uh, the same <laughs> in this case, you know, <laughs> in this case, it's not about, it's not about giving up our rights to the government. It's, you know, right now it's about giving up our rights to our fellow Americans. Um, you know, but in 2005, we were asking some questions about, you know, the right of the government to listen to us and to, and to, uh, prosecute us and to torture and to bomb, you know? And, and so what, what if the thing that you do to survive, the thing you say you're doing to survive kills, um, the things you love, you know, we've got on our side we're just trying to survive. Um, but, uh, what does it mean to have God on your side? And, and are we really just talking about having fear on our side? Mm. Fear is a powerful thing. It can turn your heart black. You can trust that. It'll take your God filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. Like, <laughs> Such a I rest my song. case. Yeah, man. Uh, the judge, the judge will, uh, will tell you what to consider in the jury room, but I hope that you, uh, heard <laughs> what I said here today and find it in your heart. <laughs> Yeah, man, this is a top twenty-five all-time favorite Bruce Springsteen song for me. This is—I I love the message of it. Like musically, it—it it like cuts right into my soul. And exactly what you just said. Like, 
Um, I love the juxtaposition between the phrases gunpowder and blood and smoke and mirrors, which directly mm. foreshadow like the magic album, like the idea that we are we're, we're using war to sort of pull the wool over our own eyes and the eyes of one another. And um, and what what you just said, I, I, I'm it, it really resonates with me specifically about because how the posture of not just hate, I mean, hate is definitely in there. Like and we we have a like we have a person in leadership who kind of hate is the only note he knows how to play. And, um, and paranoia, like how corrosive these things are, not just to society, but to the human soul. Like, what does this do to you? And, and the thing is like, and just to be deeply confessional right now, like I, um, with, with what's going on and the fear surrounding, like literally every single person that I see could get me sick. You know, like that's, that's a weird it's a weird space to be in where like I'm wearing a mask to protect everybody else. But I also get really pissed off when the people I'm trying to protect aren't wearing a mask because I need them to protect me, you know? And so I, I very rarely leave my house and I really try my best to keep my kids from leaving our house. Um, because, because I'm trying to protect us all from this thing that I'm afraid of. I mean, I, I'm straight up afraid of this thing. And, um, and, but, and I'm also like dealing with, and you and I've talked, about this off mic, but like, you know, some mental health problems that have sort of, um, become, become a lot more difficult to ignore in the midst of all this. And like how easy it is to kind of shut down the parts of myself that feel joy or hope or excitement because I spend so much energy feeling afraid and feeling sad and how like all those things make it really, really difficult to get excited about life. And like, this is exactly it, right? Like this, this pandemic has taken the parts of me that are most capable of joy. And it, it's, it's sometimes it really feels like it, it's filled it with, with devils and dust. And I don't know what to do about it. You know what I mean? Because it's not like I can just stop being afraid of the virus and I'll be fine. Like, I feel it, but it's, it's a weird thing where like, if you stop being afraid, that might make me stop being cautious and that might make me get yeah. the virus, you know? Like, so, so it's this weird, like, yeah, I have to hold on to the, the fear is keeping me alive, but also the fear is killing me, you know? Yeah. So um, so man, this, this song, and I, I, I had this record on my, my turntable a few days ago and I, God, I, this song, it, it was, it was almost like Bruce called me to just say these words to me, not as a way yeah. to like, here, let me solve your problem, but just to be like, yeah, this is hard. And just to check in. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know if it makes me feel better or worse, but it's, it's all there. You know? Yeah, dude. <clears throat> I just want to echo everything you said just now. <laughs> Thanks man. And I just want to lift that up. Uh, <laughs> trying to lift that up. Uh, I have an unspoken that I'd like us to. Uh, man, every uh, youth group has like six dudes with unspokens in the back row. Like we know, man. Yeah, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this it's song. Okay, dude. Say what? Sorry. No, you're it's good. okay, dude. Uh, yeah, this song's incredible. Yeah. Uh, also, the it's it's mostly acoustic with a little bit of guitar work underneath it. And like a little bit of atmosphere in the background. And then at the end, it just builds in this big instrumental mat sort of masterpiece, like strings. And, and it's, it, it's, it grows the record into what it's going to become. So you think you hear the first track and you're like, Oh, this is the third acoustic record. You know, he's low and he's palmy in his guitar, but the strings come in, you know, like yeah. in the, in the second minute. And then in the, the harmonica comes in like right before the third minute with like big floor toms, Almost sounds like they're being played with a mallet, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, just, and well, it grows. And that's, and that's Steve Jordan up. on the drums, by the way. Yeah, Steve Jordan. Who We talked about the Tri record earlier, the John Mayer Tri record. Uh-huh. Steve Jordan plays drums on that record. Steve Jordan is one of the best drummers alive. He's a legendary drummer. 
he is so good. Yeah. He played these really simple beats that are just like, <laughs> just there's one on the tri record that I still, every time I sit down at a drum set, I try to like, I try to recreate it and it's not hard, but I can't, it's like, and I just can't get it. Like there's something with the foot and the left hand. I just can't get it. Yeah. He's, he's, incredible. I'm also not a good drummer, but he's an incredible drummer. Yeah, he is. So yeah, we got Steve Jordan on, on drums. Uh, Brennan O'Brien plays bass on this record. And uh, who's also the producer and of the record? We cannot forget that he plays Hurdy Gurdy. Never track. forget the Hurdy Gurdy. Um, yep. But and in fact, if you are a patron, our bonus episode this week is going to be all about Brandon O'Brien. So um, we're going to talk a lot more about him as we go. And then you mentioned the strings. That's the Nashville String Machine. And then the horns are two uh, horn players, Susan Welty and Thomas Witt. And uh, this song um, first appeared at a show in April of 2003, about a month after the United States invaded Iraq. So. Bruce wrote this. I mean, this is blood on the page. Like Bruce was feeling the way he felt, and um, and then two years later, he releases the record. And um, let's see, Bruce performed the song at the Grammy Awards on February the eighth, two thousand six. It was nominated for Song of the Year, but it lost to a song called "Sometimes You Can't Make It on Your Own" by U two, which I love. I love that song. And so the only the only time Bruce is actually it's not won- devils and dust. No, it's not devil. No, it isn't. Would you but- say Devils and Dust is like a top one hundred song for you? It's a top twenty five. Bruce Springsteen. No, no, no. Of all songs. Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I, have, I haven't done that particular spreadsheet yet. <laughs> I haven't made that particular list. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I gotta. I mean, you gotta think about like all the stuff from like Motown, and you know, I, like that's that's a there's a edit. A bigger Rob edited this. There was a long pause where he was running his fingers over his file cabinet on his, on his wall just to make sure he didn't have the list already yeah. already <laughs> compiled. <laughs> I love that in your imagination, all my spreadsheets are in like physical file cabinets. Yeah, no, my spreadsheets are, are on like the whatever the trendiest new uh, like web app is, and your spreadsheets are written down. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I try and keep I, I try and keep very thorough records of all my spreadsheets. You, April always uh, is is loves that uh, you and my friend Tyler Baker, who I talk about on here all the time, uh, are like something doesn't exist to you unless you own a co- like a tangible copy of it. That's why I have so many records. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Tyler has the most impressive alphabetized like CD collection mm. and there's like zero burned discs on there too. Cause it's like, you know, the symbols don't sound the same. Can I tell you one of the things I miss the most from um, when I lived in an apartment by myself is like the giant CD tower of all the albums that I owned that I could just touch whenever oh, yeah. I want. I don't have that anymore. That's gone. Oh dude. What, uh, let me tell you what I did last weekend. I built a like whole wall of my house built in bookshelves and I just, like lay under them at night in the dark (laughs) (laughs) and just let my books that have been in closets for like a year, just like pour their spirit into me. (laughs) That's great, man. I love books. I love physical things. Um, well, (laughs) are you ready to go to track two? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I was thinking about books. That's okay. I'm thinking about books too. All right. So track two is, (laughs) Track two is All The Way Home. Yeah, I know what it's like to fail, With a whole world looking on. I know what it's like to soar. Crashing like a drunk on the bottom of the floor. And now you got no reason to trust me. My confidence is a rusty. Yeah, which picks up right at the end of Devils and Dust, like really nice. Yeah, it's good. And uh, this is the song in which Brian, Brennan O'Brien's playing the hurdy gurdy. 
yes, he is. He's he's playing. No, he's playing bass, tambora, sitar, and electric sarangi. Oh, not on this one. He's not playing hurdy gurdy. No, not according to the liner notes. Oh, the hurdy gurdy will show up later, though. Don't worry. I have it on my notes for some reason, but I mean, I'm yeah, sure it sounds like a hurdy gurdy, but like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is obviously not a hurdy gurdy. Jeez. No, it's, uh, it's a tambora. The, <laughs> the bass and the snare, like. And the uh, acoustic strum really drive this bad boy. So this is one of the older songs on the record. Bruce originally wrote the song for Southside Johnny in 1990. And mm. the like pre-Human Touch, Bruce Howard already had this song written. So uh, the arrangement and melody were completely different. And Bruce even performed it with Southside a few times on stage. And it sounded very different. Do you here, Here's a question I'm, I'm working through. And this has, it doesn't really have to do with the album or the, the song so much. But I, I thought about it a lot. So... Do you think Bruce keeps writing songs for Southside Johnny? Because for those who don't know, Southside Johnny was another guy who grew up, who's a, who's a peer of Bruce Springsteen's in Asbury Park on the on the shore, doing the music scene, playing a lot of the same clubs and gigs that Bruce was playing. So Bruce became Bruce Springsteen, and Southside Johnny did not become Bruce Springsteen. Uh, right. So my question but is: Southside Johnny just hosted a drive-in concert the other night. See, that's really cool, and. And the reason most people who know who Southside Johnny is is because they know, they have heard about him because of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And, and I wonder, because Bruce really loves South, I mean, clearly he, he has, holds a lot of like deep regard for, for Southside. Do you Apparently think he's a pretty good dude? I'm sure. I mean, I, I don't think you get to be friends with Bruce Springsteen for that long and not be a pretty good dude. Do you think Bruce keeps writing songs for Southside as an extension of his chronic survivor's guilt? Like, like they bo- I don't know. Like, they both came up as musicians on the Jersey Shore. Bruce became the biggest, literally, like, maybe the biggest rock star in the world. And Southside Johnny did not, you know? And so maybe Bruce keeps, like, giving him songs as, like, this, like, consolation. Like, hey, man, I still love you. I still, um, like, like he's trying to, like, buy, buy his way out of feeling guilty for being successful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's 100% it. Do you really? Yeah. I thought you were just messing with me. No, I agree with you. <laughs> So anyway, this this arrangement that's that's an, that's an aside it has nothing to do with this particular song. But anyway, so this song, all the way home, this particular arrangement, the non Southside arrangement, is a reworking of what was originally constructed. And Brian Hyatt of Rolling Snow magazine likens the song to a Steve Earle song, which I think is right on the money. I think this sounds a lot like yeah. a Steve Earle song. Yeah. And I can the, hear that. The song, this song, was recorded during the Ghost of Tom Jones sessions in 1995. But it was heavily remixed for this album. And some of the instrumental parts are re-recorded entirely, specifically the drums and the bass, because the drums are Steve Jordan. The bass is Brennan O'Brien, obviously, include, also the tambour, the sitar, and the electric sarangi. But uh, They Chuck sound Pl- cool in the background. Yeah, it does. And uh, Chuck Plotkin is playing the piano here, but that's from the original oh. 1995 recording. He didn't come back oh, in. Nice. And the steel, steel guitar. Marty Rifkin is playing steel guitar, and that's also from the original session. And Plotkin's got, like, at the very end of the song, there's, like, a really low chord on the piano. You know, like, he hits the last note. Mm, yeah. So, good on him. The harmonica solo is, like, a guitar solo. I love those, like, old blues solos that you, the harmonica guys, like, play through, you know, pedals. You know, like, old beat-up fuzz pedals. Mm-hmm. Whew. Love that. So, Bruce has been quoted as saying this about the song. He says, I like, quote, I like the idea of a guy saying at the end of the song, maybe your first choice is gone, but that's all right. I like that sort of character. You make do with what you have in the world, and sometimes good things can come out of it. It's not always about the ideal situation, and you don't know who you're going to end up walking beside, and you don't know what's going to bring your life to life. 
these are the things you find out as you go. I like the idea of setting the song around this character who's kind of pitching himself. He's been through a few things. He's pitching himself to this girl at the bar. It's very out front. Come on. So basically he's like, yeah, like none of us got everything that we set out to get, but you know, like we still have life to live. It's, it's almost like the flip side of devils and De- like devils and death is like, what about, what are all the things that corrode your soul? And this is about like, what about all the things that could cor- corrode your soul, but you choose to not let them, you know? Yeah. I love it. I'm going to get, I gave it a three. I'm going to give it a four. What did I give it? Four. Oh, well, good. Well, welcome to four. Welcome to four. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's nice here. So this is a good kind of one-two punch. If you're looking at this album and you're kind of entering the front door, you get Devils and Dust, which is, it is sort of the thesis statement of the album. But then you have this, which is a more like up-tempo, more hopeful, obviously was never going to work on Ghost of Tom Joad. But it does sort of give you this kind of like back and forth wrestling with kind of the darker and the lighter sides of this this internal wrestling match of what does it mean to continue to be human and not kill the things you love and not to live as a person who is loaded down with just regret and disappointment, you know? Yeah. So, and we've talked before about how home, when Bruce writes songs about going home or taking the long way home or um, all the way home or like long walk home or whatever, like it, home is never like a place where a person lives. Home is always sort of like this Hebraic notion of like a place that you were like who you were originally meant to be, like your original, the best version of who who you are, you know. So he's not yeah. just saying like I can take you home and we'll have fun tonight. What he's saying is like maybe maybe we are almost like tougher than the rest. Like maybe neither of us is each other's first choice, but maybe if we if we go on a journey together, maybe we can discover the best parts of ourselves. You know. Yeah, I like that. It's nice. He, uh, yeah, it's it's a, such a great track too. Yeah, it is. It's it's a it, it's a yeah. it, it it does really well. It's it's well placed because it sits between the title track, but also the next track, which is very down and very low. And so you need all the way home to avoid the the whole album becoming Ghost of Tom Joad or Nebraska. Like he needs this at track two because otherwise you can't come back back up after like Devils and Dust. Then whatever would have come here, then Reno. Like by the time you're three songs deep into that, like you you can't go back up unless you have all the way home there to sort of like chase the bitterness a little bit, you know? Yeah. So speaking of that, track three is Reno. She took off stocking, held in my face. She had your anchor. I feel filled with grace. I love Reno. The second that, uh, in, in the very first few seconds, the guitar takes a left and the strings take a right, you mm-hmm. know, that's the moment that I'm like, oh, this is a different, you know, this is, this song is doing some different stuff. And I love that. Yeah. This song, it's about a guy who turns to a prostitute to try and re- relive a memory of intimacy with a lost love. What was someone named Maria? And it's, like I, I really enjoy this is one of the episodes that we did that I specifically remember thinking like I'm really glad we talked about this because I I think that was that was one of the episodes where I I, I can't speak for you but I I can say like I think I, I discovered what's great about this song while we were talking about it you know yeah it's my favorite thing about this podcast um mine too because at first I was like oh this is just about a guy hooking up with a prostitute but then like the more we talked about it, the more I realized like no this is somebody who is trying to relive a memory and he can't get it back and he, he has like this weird numb sort of sensation that he feels like can only be 
like like his his ability to feel joy in life can only happen if he can like perfectly relive this memory but he realizes he can't he's, he's chasing a, a ghost yeah you know and which is why the, the 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 final line of the song is so so poignant where he says hold on let me get it i have it in front of me um where he says we laughed and made a toast it wasn't the best i ever had not even close you know and so like the idea that he went into this hoping to relive like one of his most treasured memories and when it's over he's like nah it wasn't even close you know not it wasn't the best i had not even close because no memory can live a, up to the experience i i love when people contrast like really graphic images with the mundane everyday of life mm, yeah. um and that's what this does really well yeah it does and i mean it it is it is a more explicit song this isn't one of the ones that i'm going to put on like my kids mix like playlist no no this is one of his henry miller songs yeah it is and and there's several this of those is, this is bruce springsteen's uh tropic of cancer chapter one <laughs> redhead woman is tropic of cancer chapter two yeah that's funny yes and uh yeah and he does that really well and i and i like that he doesn't like dwell on that like he doesn't just play that card every time like you and which is why reno is so stark this is why people remember reno is because bruce doesn't usually work quite this blue you know yeah. um so when he does it's for a reason he has he's actually trying to say something and and i think yeah. he says it really powerfully and really well and this is i mean it, it is simultaneously one of the songs that makes this album probably more difficult for just like a, a first-time listener but it also is one of the things that gives it its depth and its richness and really tells you what the what the album is attempting to say it's, uh it's yeah. not like hot it's sad that's right yeah but then, it is. That, but then that makes you feel something just as physical, you know, it makes you have just as physical or human reaction as if it were like, ah, and I think that's the weird thing, you know, well, and that's the thing that makes people bristle. I think so too. I mean, yeah, people, people look at the explicit nature of, and I think this, this song is the reason I think this, this whole album had an explicit content warning on the, on the CD specifically yeah. because of this album or this song. I think long time coming is explicit too. Oh, it might be. Oh yeah, you're right. I ain't going to F it up this time. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, he's, he's got some stuff on here and he, he's, he's being a little bit more raw, but I, and so like this whole Reno is all about memory. It's all about someone trying to process, relive, experience, re-experience a memory. And memory is a really important element to this record. Like r the concepts of memory and regret and like not letting those things turn you into devils and dust is is a big part of the journey of this record. And so that he early on track three, which is usually where people put like a single like track three is usually where you, where you put a heavy hitter and that he put this song here. It tells you, first of all, he wants people to, to notice it, but also because yeah. he, he's, he has, he has something to say. He's, he's trying to say something about the, the difference between experience and memory. Right. And it's a little bit more, it's even more of a sort of like, not a middle finger, but that works for the sentence, I guess, uh, to people who are skipping to track three to hear the hit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nobody's no. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, well, you'll yeah, I feel sit down here. You know, it's like those timeshare conferences or whatever, where they're like, yeah, there's a free meal, and we're going to sign you up for a timeshare. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, then we got track four, which is Long Time Coming, which you just mentioned. Head with a creek turn, shallow and sandy. And the moon comes skimming away the stars. When mesquite comes rushing over the hilltops. Straight into my arms Straight into my arms I'm riding hard, carrying a catcher roses 
great song. Great song. This song also was recorded for the Ghost of Tom Jones sessions. Uh, the rhythm section featuring Steve Jordan and Brendan O'Brien were recorded, re-recorded for these sections. Um, but I think everything else is the same. So, uh, so you've got Br- Brendan O'Brien on bass, Steve Jordan on drums, Marty Rifkin is playing the steel guitar. Then you got Danny Federici on keyboards, Susie Tyrell on violin, and background vocals are Patty and Susie. So, uh, so this song is interesting too because again, we just got out of one about memory, but now "Long Time Coming" is more about like thinking about hope, being hopeful about the future, and, and the thought that maybe today can be better than yesterday. Right. Well, this could be the this could be the next morning, man. Yeah, it could. That's, you know? that is it. That is such he an realizes that he can't recreate it, and he goes out and he buries that part of his soul, gets birth naked, and dances on its grave. Are you kidding me, man? This is so good. <clears throat> it really is. Well, this is an interesting sort of follow up to like if you track Bruce's albums as kind of a stage of life journey. This is because this is he gets very specific about his feelings about being a parent. You know, because. He, he writes he writes this song as someone grappling with his own past, with his own memories, in regards to how his future will be shaped, not just his own future, but the future of his children. He talks about like, you know, um, the like you said, like the idea of like his old self and dancing on, on the grave. And um, he, he doesn't want to F it up this time. And he, all, the idea of um, you, the, we, we have a responsibility to those who come after us. And it, it's our job to try and make space for someone else to like, I love the line where he says, um, if I had one wish, it would be that your mistakes be your own. You know, like the idea that one of the worst things we mm. can do to our kids is give them the same mistakes that we were given. Like, I, I, I forget who it was that said it, but just like my, my goal as a parent is to screw up my kids differently than my parents screwed me up. You know, like, yeah, that, that we, we continue moving the story forward. And that, that tends to be what this song is about. So in on, um, that's what, Getting birth naked is all about is like saying I'm gonna mess up my kids, and dancing on its grave is raising kids you love and who who are great in spite of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what this song's about. Yeah, it, it's. Excellent. I love it. It's, I love it. Next to the title track, this is my favorite song on the record. This is a great song. I I and would. It's, it's the line where I reach neath your skirt, your shirt, and lay my hand across your belly and feel another one kicking inside me. Uh-huh. I ain't gonna fuck it up this time. That's such a sweet and kind of like beautiful. And not to be weird, but like if you've been married to or if, if you've been in love with someone who is carrying your child, there's something more beautiful about that pregnant woman than any woman you've ever seen. And it's like it's a it's a thing that is weird before it happens. And then afterwards, you're like, man, pregnancy is beautiful. <laughs> and that's how I feel about this song as a dad now, you know, as opposed to when I first listened to it. It just it works as such a perfect contrast to Reno, right? Because Reno is all about like this fading ghost of a memory, and this is all about like the the sun rising on a new tomorrow. Yeah, fucked it up once, but I ain't gonna fuck it up this time. Yeah, that, that he found something like you said. It could be the next morning. It's it maybe maybe he found something bigger than himself to to focus on. You know, yeah. and it's been a long time coming. So I it, can't create Maria. So I'm just gonna have to go home and be the man that I want. Yeah. to be remembered as and raise my kids and love my wife and do a little bit better next time. Absolutely. It's a great song. It is a great, great song. So then track five, we've got Black Cowboys. Rainy Williams playground was a mud haven streets Where he ran past melted candles and floweries Names and photos of young black faces Whose death and blood consecrated these places 
And his mother said, Rainy, stay at my side. You are my blessing. You are also a great song. This is a, a tonal shift, though, because now we have it, it's not a first person narrative, it's it, it's a short story, basically. It's yeah, um, without again, we did a whole uh, we did a whole episode just about this one song. Um, but it's but, a short story in that, like, it's not even there are no stanzas, it's a uh. It's a four, one, two, three, four, five. It's a six paragraph short story. It's there. It's paragraphs. If if you look in the liner notes, like there's yeah. no stanzas. Oh, you're right. I'm I'm looking at the liner notes. You're right. It absolutely is. So yeah, man. So the protagonist is a is a kid named Rainy Williams. Rainy is obsessed with cowboys, which Bruce was when he was a kid. And he specifically loves stories about black cowboys of the Old West, which is a segment of Western stories that we almost never tell. In fact, I just in the past year learned about a um, a black cowboy by the name of Bass Reeves. And um, so w- without getting into the whole Bass thing, um, Bass Reeves was born into slavery, but he was freed in 1865 when the 13th Amendment was passed. And he was the first black deputy U.S. marshal west of the Mississippi River. And he worked mostly in um, Arkansas and the Oklahoma Territory, and he arrested more than 3,000 felons. Someone needs to make a movie about Bass Reeves. In fact, as I was looking this up, I re- in, in, he's talked about in the in the Watchmen series from HBO last year, yet another reason why everyone needs to watch Watchmen. Um, but apparently Amazon Studios is developing a movie about Bass Reeves, but who knows what the status of that is right now. Anyway, all that to say, when we talk about black cowboys, that, that there are these stories that aren't being told. And like, and what this, this is about, interestingly is like Rennie Williams is this kid who does not live out in the West, but he has some, somehow found like a way to identify with stories of cowboys, but yeah. also like this very small, like th- this very little told version of the cowboy story, which is the black cowboy story, like people like Bass Reeves. So um, anyway, so this totally could have been a ghost of Tom Jones song. And, I'm kind of amazed that it. I mean, it, not, he hadn't written it yet, but it it would it would have worked just fine on that record. But ultimately, it's a song about escape. It's about new hope, um, like Rainy Williams's more tragic version of like Born to Run. You know, because the whole thing is about he's, he's getting out, but yeah. for for his own good, um, and and sort of finding finding some sort of hope in the story of black cowboys. So, it, it's and again, it deals with like con, the concept of the future and dealing with the past and like escaping the past in some sort of way, but not, not in a, like I'm a youthful kid. And I'm going to get out of here kind of escape, but in a, like I might die if I can't get out of here kind of escape, yeah. you know, like, so um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a really good song and I, I appreciate it for what it is. It's, it's one of the only times that Bruce's protagonist, and we talked about this a lot with, with Laurie Pierce, but one of the only times that Bruce like explicitly names a, uh, a protagonist who is a person of color. Mm-hmm. So it, Instantly, like at face value, gives you a different perspective than what you're used to with a Bruce Springsteen song. So, um, it's 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 a really it's a good song. I um, I appreciate it. I, it's it's a thought exercise. It's a powerful short story. I, just, I I feel like I'm just talking now. So you you talk. How do you feel about that? Uh, <laughs> I love just the image. The um, so during the protests uh, recently out in L.A., you know, the Compton Cowboys showed up, you know, in their ho- on their horses. And, and there have been black cowboys and black riders during a lot of these protests. I saw a, a sign on the back of one of the horse trailers that said, racism ain't cowboy. And I <laughs> love that. And I, I just love the history of the black cowboy. And, uh, you know, I'm from Mississippi and you're from Texas and I'm from Texas. Like, I've been around them and, and it's great. You know, I, I, that's my favorite thing about my house in Verona. It was a little more in the country than the house I live in now, but you know, just uh, black cowboys riding by the house all the time, just riding down to the store. It was fantastic. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, this is a great song. Yeah, it is. Then we go out of that into Maria's bed. Long bar wire, highway 40 days and nights. I ain't complaining, it's my job and it suits me right. Got a sweet soul fever rushing around my head. I'm gonna sleep till the night in Maria's bed. So we're at the halfway point, track six. Uh, way more up-tempo than anything on either Nebraska or Tom Jones. Like, th- both of those, th- this to me is one of the things that sets this album apart. This is a daytime song. Yeah, this is a daytime song. And this is the first appearance on the record of the Hurdy Gurdy. And yeah, the whole thing's great. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a great, you know, he starts off in this fun little falsetto. Yeah. You know, you know I don't know. I just enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, it's about a guy who's been on the road for a long time. He's looking forward to getting to Maria's bed. And I mean, it's a yeah. pretty thematically, it's a pretty basic country song, but it's it's fun. I like it on this record. Um, it, it, the songs like this kind of keep this album from getting too bogged down and being too serious uh, from start to finish. It also shows that there's a gen- genuine folk music atmosphere that Bruce is pursuing here, but it also has the benefit of being on theme because it's it's about someone who is has been traveling and is looking forward to having a moment of rest and peace with someone who he feels comfortable with. Like that is, again, it's a country music trope, but it also fits perfectly on a record that is asking questions about being tired and trying to find reasons to not kill the things you love, you know? Yeah. So yeah, man, Maria's bed. I keep my heart in my work, my troubles in my head, and I keep my soul in my Maria's bed. Yeah. It's a good song, man. This whole album is very good. Is I love this record. Yeah. Um, yeah, unequivocally just am in love with this record. It's funny. As we say that, we go to what is my least favorite song on the record, which is Silver Palomino. I was barely 13 years old. Come on, quality, so not so cold. Coats, frost, diamonds, and the Salem moon's glow. My silver Sixteen ants from weather's due to ground. Line bed and listen to the same. Right, mine too, mine too. And this is a song about a horse. Well, it's, it's, it's about a horse, but it's also about a dead mother. And it is very heavy. I do heavy. love the first chord. It, it, yeah, it does start well. I, just, I, don't, I don't tend to, to love songs about horses. <laughs> Not to make it yeah. just like that simplistic, but yeah. But yeah, so the song was inspired by a woman who's, who was a friend of Bruce's family who died and left two small children behind. And like the song is, su- it's super sad. And I, again, I don't love the central image or metaphor, the, the titular silver Palomino. Like it, it doesn't really speak to me at that level, but otherwise it is a nice song. It's probably, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it meant a lot to, to the guys that it's about, uh, whose mom had died. Um, but staying within the theme of parenting and heaviness and fear, Bruce once introduced the song in concert by saying, this is every parent's nightmare. When you're kid, when, when you're a kid, the loss of your parents is about as frightening as it gets. And because mm. the, the young boy sees his, the, the spirit, he, he I'm sorry, he sees the spirit of his mother in a horse that comes out of the mountains at night. Um, I think that's what, what's going on there. And so, um, yeah. and, and so Bruce has said that he found, he, he has found that a good horse can become like a kind of caretaker when you need them to be. I know, I know a lot of people feel this way about dogs. Bruce's like anybody who knows Bruce Springsteen at all knows that he's, he's a horse guy. Um, but, but anyway, so he, he sees like horses as 
like these animals who can also sort of revive the human soul, which yeah. is which is why this is on this record. You know, like it's you know it, it, it's what does it mean when a person faces a loss, and what does it mean to find some kind of consolation and hope and comfort in an animal? You know, basically, yeah. yeah. And while this is both of our least favorite song on the record, it's not like a um, – it's it's very on theme and it sounds really nice. You know, it doesn't interrupt the flow of the record if you're just listening to it while you're – No, that's right. Doing homework. It's it's not distracting. Yeah. It's not uh, it's not a, a standalone masterpiece. It's a nice it's a nice addition to the song. You know, if, if he didn't put this record out, I wouldn't think he had a, near, a reason to put out Silver Palomino uh, except for maybe like on tracks or something. But because he has this record, he has a perfect place for it, you know? Yeah, if it's like, and and really, that's that's an interesting observation too, because this is one of possibly one of the only albums from Bruce's latter day records that I would look at and say like, there's nothing he would like if if you put a gun to my head and, and was like, you have to cut something, and the thing that you cut has to be the most thematically inconsistent part of the record. This this album is probably one of the most con- thematically consistent records he he's made in this century, you know, like that's why I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, not, not to say that the other albums haven't been thematically consistent. I think the rising and uh, magic specifically or deeply thematically consistent. It's just like this, this album really, there, there is no fat on this record. And like you said, like, even though I don't, I don't personally connect with the song, I can't argue against it being on the record. Right. You know, so then we get to another one of my favorites on the on the album, Jesus Was an Only Son. Well, Jesus was an only son As he walked up Calvary His mother Mary walking beside him In the path where his blood spilled Jesus was an only son In the hills Yes, and it starts off pretty um, somber. Um, it's it's like an upbeat funeral march. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's but literally it's, a, it's really about the stations of the cross. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, another that's... song about parenting and loss, and it's it you know it's it's rough, man. Um, yeah, it's just about Mary watching her watching her baby grow up and be crucified. You know. Yeah, and, and Bruce has said. And this is a quote. He's saying, it's really a song about the fulfillment of a child's own destiny and the parents desire to protect them from the things in the world that can hurt them. Ultimately, you can't protect them from their own destiny. They have their own work to do. And I mean, man, that's that is a that is a journey every parent has to go on. And and it struck me. Yeah. It actually struck me today that this album is such a shift from who Bruce was in the early 1970s, because the first three albums of Bruce's career were all about breaking free and experiencing the world on your own. Like Bruce has so many songs about like his dad, like being a drag and like trying to keep him from his destiny, you know? And so now this album is like, he's on the other side of that journey. And now he's the parent of someone who has their own aspirations of exploration and discovery. And now he sees that when his parents were urging him towards caution, maybe it wasn't because they were trying to kill his fun. It was because they felt like Mary watching Jesus travel the stations of the cross, you know, like, Um, like it's, yeah, it is heavy. And, and it's interesting that Bruce has had a long enough career that he's been able to write from both sides of that. I mean, I've mentioned before, I've mentioned several times, like when we talked about independence day, that when we saw Bruce do independence day, um, on the river tour, when he introduces it and he tells the story about his dad, like he just feels old when he's telling that story. And it's this weird kind of realization that when Bruce is on the, on that stage back in 2016, he is probably a lot older 
than his dad was when that happened, when, when the events of the song Independence Day happened. So he's crossed over, you know, he, he's on the other side of, he, he's gone through the looking glass. So now like he used to write songs about how like my parents, parents just don't understand, you know, like my dad doesn't understand me. And so say, um, say goodbye. It's Independence Day. And here he's writing this like, Oh God, it's like, it's like Mary watching Jesus walk to his own death. You know, it's, it's painful to watch your kid make their own choices. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's fascinating. This song, this song coupled with, uh, Adam raised the cane or independence day. is an interesting kind of double feature. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, next we've got Leah. I won't build me house. On high ground, I wanna find me where wheels the only sound. High above this road, there was shadowing there. I wanna show you my love, figure it all out. We live. It's a song about Leah. Yeah, that's what I got. It's good. I like the melody. I like the the highest rows, you know, uh, the up and then the down. Yeah. It actually sounds... <laughs> the melody sounds like the single off the new uh, Vampire Weekend record. Oh, interesting. Uh, what song is it? I'm going to get this. I don't know why I just thought of this for the first time. Father of the Bride. Harmony Hall, the song Harmony Hall. It's got a similar melody. All right. Uh, um, yeah. Good song. Cool. Um, now, th- there's a line on this song that I think is directly in, like, the, again, the center of the bullseye for the theme. And the, the line is where he says, uh, I walk this road with a hammer and a fiery lantern. With this hand I've built and with this hand I've burned. Mm-hmm. Because what he's saying there, he's trying to find the balance between destruction and rebuilding, deconstruction and reconstruction. This is This is... This is the the nagging question of the whole album, right? Like, what are the things that I need to let go of and let die? And what are the things that I need to hold on to in order to remain fully human and fully alive yeah. and fully present? And with this hand I built and with this hand I burn. And he's he's recognizing, like, every human being carries a hammer and a lantern. And we're mm. all trying to decide when do we build and when do we burn? And that is that that, that is the struggle of being an adult in this life, you know? And, um, this, this, this album, I mean, really this album, I think we've said it before, but this whole album is about adulthood. This is the most adult album Bruce maybe ever made. Yeah. You know, because it's all about like the heaviness and the weight of what it means to be an adult in the world and to have to like deal with adult things. Whereas before, like you, you felt like all, like everything was life and death, but really it was, it, it was, it like in comparison, like I would, I would love for the, my problems of 20 years to go to be my problems today. You know, but I mean, if you told me that 20 years right. ago, I would have been like, shut up. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the real problems. But now I'm like, I'm I've got trying... $6 on my credit card. I can go to the bar. Yeah. Shut up. That's right. Yeah. I've got a final and I, I overspent on my credit card. So I can't, <laughs> I, I can't buy three new CDs next month. I'll have to wait till the month after that. And now it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to pay my mortgage in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> and I'm trying to keep five people from c- catching a potentially fatal virus. Like, yeah, God, I would absolutely trade with myself from 20 years ago, you know? Mm. And so like, I feel like this album is sort of Bruce. Before you knew about all your mental health problems. So they weren't an excuse. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Back when I thought I was just tired. Yeah. Yeah. Was that better? 
Or is that worse? Is it is it better to know? I don't know. Or is man. it worse? Or is it worse to know? Do, do you not. lean into it more, or is it? <laughs> do you have like? Hang on. Do, you, do I sound funny? Uh. Oh, my know. headphones came unplugged. All right. Cool. Sorry. Anyway, Leah, great song. Yeah. Then, it, yeah. The the um the struggle between building and burning. I'm 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 yeah. interested in in that part of the discussion. So then the uh, juxtaposition. Yeah, the little juxtaposition. Then track ten, another probably under underappreciated gem on this album which is the hitter come to the door ma and unlock the chain i was just passing through and got caught in the rain there's nothing i want nothing that you need say just let me lie down for a while and i'll be Yeah, this one's almost a short story too. I love this album, this song so much. This is one that Lori Pierce uh, talked to us about. Yeah. So th- this song always sticks with me more than a lot of the other ones on this record, maybe because it feels so cinematic and the images are so fleshed out so well. Oh yeah. You know, because it's, I mean, the whole and, and the whole image is, is heartbreaking. It's, it's this this guy who's a boxer. He's talking to his mother through a closed door. He's trying to get her to open it so he can come in and lie down, but she doesn't want to let him in because she's worried that he's. Um, gonna bring trouble into the house and so he's telling his mother his whole story through a closed door that she won't open and again it deals with like parenting and loss and fear uh, a character that's haunted by bad choices it's it's all the things man and it's in that the, the the image the motif of the whole thing is a guy begging his mother to open the door like that is yeah that he is just wants heartbreaking a nap. he just wants his mom and a nap yeah he's not yeah he's not even looking for her to hide him he just let me lie down for a while and I'll be on my way. He just, yeah. he just needs, uh, he just needs to an hour to close his eyes. Yeah. And that is, Oh man, this song is heavy and it's so, so good. And I love it so much. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. Um, any it's quiet. Other? It's the, everything's under, under the mix, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, then yeah, the personnel here, it's very stripped down to, it's just Bruce. With the horn players and the Nashville Nashville string machine, if you can call, mm. if you can call an entire horn and string section stripped down. That's what this is. That's how. I and mean, Lee is the same way. It's Bruce and then a trumpet. Yeah, that's right. Uh, then uh, track eleven is all I'm thinking about. Blind man weaving by the side of the road in a flatbed Ford County heavy Sweet things sipping on a blueberry. Yeah, very I think this is a great song that we both only gave three uh, stars to because because it's a if anything on the record's out of place, it's almost this one. Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. But at the same time, it sort of is that reprieve, just like um, you know we have all throughout the record. So, and it's kind of nice the little falsetto that he's doing is kind of sweet, you know. Yeah, and Bruce here is playing vocals guitar keyboards and drums so for some reason he decided to do drums on this one himself and not use steve jordan so it's a little more uh, it's i mean obviously like bruce bruce is fine but he's not steve jordan so it's it's not quite as tight you know and maybe that's on purpose maybe it's supposed to feel like we're riding in the back of a pickup truck 
Well, yeah, this song is a hazy country summer. It's yeah. surreal. It's you know, it's like it's it's dusk and it's so humid that the it, that it looks like the it looks different. <laughs> yeah, it looks like you're on drugs when you're looking out at the field, but it's just because it's so humid. Oh, and the choir. Mm. I forgot about the choir. I always forget about the choir. I think it's just, just Patty, Susie, and Lisa. There. Lisa Lowell. It's yeah. Three, three background oh, vocalists. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So, but yeah, it is a nice yeah, reprieve like because we've had. Sadness. Say what? It's a sweet sadness. Like if sadness was a lollipop. Yeah. Well, and the falsetto is, is Bruce's way of almost like tongue in cheek, like telling you, like he doesn't want you to take this on too seriously. Like he, he understands that the hitter is very he- heavy. The song that comes after this is possibly the heaviest one on the album. And so Bruce is like, I don't want you, I, I don't want you to leave the album feeling only sadness. Like I'm fine with you leaving the album with some sadness, but I also want you to know that we dealt with some hope and we dealt with yeah. some, some joy and some lightheartedness. We came up, we took air a couple drives down some dirt roads. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. then after all I'm thinking about is you or all I'm thinking about, uh, we go to the final track of the record, the closer, which is Madam Morris Banks. For two days, the river keeps you down. And you rise to the light without a song Past playgrounds and empty switching yards The turtles eat the skin from their eyes So they lay open to the stars Which is deeply sad oh, We can't let you get out of here without some sadness, though Yeah. No. Uh, so this, this song is told from the perspective of a drowned man who was trying to cross the border. Mm-hmm. And there's the line, the, I mean, Bruce, very visceral descriptions. Here. The, the turtles eat the skin from your eyes. So they lay open to the stars. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. Now, since we recorded the episode where we did this, a photo was really, I, th- I don't remember exactly the date. It was probably in t- like mid 2018. I think when we originally did this, the song, so in June of 2019, there was a photo. Do you know what photo I'm about, I'm about to talk about? No, I don't. This exact scenario. This, this oh, album wow. came out in 2005. We talked about it in 2000, probably 17 or 18. 2019, a man, there's a photo of a man and his two-year-old daughter lying drowned on the banks of the Rio Grande near Matamoros across the river from Brownsville, Texas. It is almost exactly the scene that this song describes. And it is, do not Google this unless you want to have nightmares. It is so sad. It is, I mean, it's powerful because it shows you like the desperation that it must take to try and cross the Rio Grande from Matamoros to Brownsville. Um, and it, and, and so the photo is this. And so once again, the song is so much more relevant to us today than it was when Bruce wrote it. It's hauntingly prophetic. And I think it's interesting because the rest of this album has not dealt specifically with immigration in the same way that ghost of Tom Joe did, but it's almost like he takes the final track of this record and reminds us that he also did an album called the ghost of Tom Joe. And he dealt with these very heavy things and those things aren't gone. Yeah. Like, we're not done talking about those things, even though it was 10 years before this. So, I mean, th- this song would have fit in fact, in my head, the song is on ghost of Tom Joe. It's weird to me that the song is on devils and dust, but it's I always even, forget too. Yeah. But it's even weirder to me that if he had written this song today, we would have been like, oh, he saw that photo in June of yeah. 2019, and he decided to write about this because it's it's weirdly specific and accurate in regards to that exact photo. Yeah, it is. So, 
anyway, uh, and that's that's how the album ends. The personnel here are Bruce and the, the Nashville String Machine. And that's that's the end of the record. So it, it begins, it bookends itself with Devils and Dust, Kill the Things You Love, Fear's a Powerful Thing, and the end is a drowned man on the banks of the the Rio Grande at Matamoros. And Bruce is playing the shit out of his guitar in the song. Yeah, he's doing great, man. This, this whole album, I think, is, has really good guitar work. Mm-hmm. It's just a. It is one of the most beautifully produced records. Um, I think it's my favorite Brendan O'Brien record. Maybe, maybe not. It's not yours. Might be mine. I don't know. I mean, Magic is still an album that Brendan O'Brien made. So yeah, I, I can't right. say I can't say that it's my favorite, but I will say that this is. I mean, the, I I can't imagine any other producer doing this album but Brendan O'Brien. You know, I think yeah. this album yeah, yeah. with any other producer, this is a different record. Yes. So, which is why in our bonus episode, we're going to talk about Brendan O'Brien. So final, final, final thoughts, final, like what, what, when, when we finish Matamoros Banks, the needle goes back to its resting place. How are you feeling? What, what, what are your, what are your walk away? What do you walk away with when you hear this album? Man, I just feel, I honestly feel a little hopeful and I feel like I've, I've looked it in the face, whatever it is that day. I mean, Matamoros Banks kind of makes you, doesn't it? Yeah, I like it. I like it too. I'm, I'm glad. This is, again, like when we first started the podcast, one of the things I was excited to do was break down like this album and, and other stuff like it because this is the stuff that I think most Bruce Springsteen fans in general don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I mean, I bet the number of probably more than any other album, anytime we would do a song from devils and dust, we would get emails from people who would be like, you know what? I've been a Bruce Springsteen fan for X number of years. I never listened to this record. I didn't even know this song yeah. existed. Like I, I like almost with, with the exception of the title track. I think we heard, we heard that with every single song on this album. Like I just, I never, ever thought about the song. Never, never gave it a second thought. And yeah. And I think that tends to be the thing about this album is it's, it isn't that people don't like it. It's that people just don't think about it. And I think that's a tragedy. I think the song, this album deserves to be remembered and thought about. And I, and I hope that when people, in a hundred years when people tell the story of Bruce Springsteen, I hope they remember to talk about this album. Yeah. It's an incredible record. It yeah. deserves its due. Absolutely. It does. All right, man. Well, um, you ready to get out of here? Yeah. All right. I well, guess. Well, I mean, I could t- listen to this record some more. I'll probably keep listening to it. I was going to say, I'm definitely don't stop. Listening <laughs> but if, to it. I mean, if y'all need to go, y'all can go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let, uh, let's jump over to the patron feed and let's talk about, uh, Brennan O'Brien. That'll be fun. Tight. Let's do that. All right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back in the feed next time. Uh, thank you. Thanks, everybody, first of all, for being so patient with us. We've been taking intermittently. We've been taking between one and two week breaks uh, just because of scheduling and, you know, the difficulties of being a parent and being alive and having jobs during, you know, this particular period of time. We're trying to stay as consistent as we can, but it is, it, it, it's some weeks is, are easier than others. And, and sometimes it looks like we'll be able to do it. And, and then at the last minute, it's like somebody like my, my kids, I think last week it was just like, my kids just, were not going to let me have, yeah. like, you know, my, my wife yeah. is at work and my kids were just not going to give me an hour. So that's just going to be the way it is sometimes. And so thanks everybody so much for your patience. We really appreciate it. Thanks for continuing to stay with us and tune in next time we are in the feed. We will be talking about, we shall overcome colon the seeger sessions. So uh, until then, uh, I'm Rob, that's JB, and we'll see y'all next time.